I wasn't at iShare for much of the convention. I came in about an hour ago, and as I was walking in, I saw a bunch of young people with name badges, and I was hearing some music, and I walked in <laughs> over there at that hall over there, and uh, I, you know, I saw people wearing shirts that says, Jovenes de Cristo, so I thought, maybe it's some Hispanic churches that have come to iShare. And I walked in, and there was this guy on this guitar. He was just blazing away, and then this, this giant crucifix. And I thought to myself, man, iShare has really changed since last year. <laughs> Must be new leadership, right? <laughs> Amen. I hope you've had a wonderful Sabbath. It's been good today. Amen? Amen. 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 Now, how many people brought their Bibles? Raise your hand if you brought your Bibles. Now look at the people who didn't bring their Bible with a judgmental look. <laughs> when you come to worship God, it's important that you bring the Bible. Amen? At least a sidearm, right? A little pocket Bible. So, let me just get things ready. All right. Very good. Very good. Okay. Can everybody hear me okay? Amen. Amen. You know what I really appreciate about these sort of uh, last charges or these Saturday night worships or, or vespers, as you call it? It's a wonderful time because, you know, this is a time that's a little bit more informal. It's a time where um, we can have just these wonderful conversations as the, and reflecting upon the Sabbath and all the blessings of the year, whatever it is. Um, you know, I know many people who love to get boba after, you know, Sabbath sundown, but... Um, Make sure you invite me. So um, it's just a wonderful time to be able to come together and just end the Sabbath with Jesus. Amen? You know, somebody once said, I don't know who this quote is attributed to, but somebody once said there are two important days in your life. Two important days in your life. Number one, the day you are born. And number two, the day you discover why. The day you discover why. And that's what it's all about when you come to Jesus. He wants to share with you his powerful purposes for your life. Can you say amen to that? How many people were baptized today? I know some people got baptized today. Praise the Lord for your decision. You know, one of my friends, he was uh, doing an evangelistic series in a third world country several years ago. And when he got back, he told this very unusual story. He said, after he did the altar call, many people came forward. Many people were excited about being baptized that Sabbath. But when he was going to go baptize these many people, he had his shorts on, he found a baptismal robe, ready to go into the waters. The pastors would not let him go into the water. They said, Pastor, we've already arranged it. We got our elders here. We got other pastors here. The water is not best for you, so it's probably best that you stay on the shore and watch what is happening. We'll do the baptisms. So my friend, the pastor, said, okay. And so he just stood there watching the baptisms take place. And it was a wonderful time, that Sabbath. All of a sudden, he noticed something from the corner of his eye as all these people were coming into the water to get baptized. There was one lady, every time she would step foot into the water, she would fall over backwards and shake uncontrollably. Now what the pastor started to do as they started to pick up on the situation, they all started gathering over to that corner where she was. They commanded the choir to sing louder. And uh, the woman would get back up after they were done praying with her. They'd bring her a few feet into the water. She'd fall backwards into the water. And so they'd get her back up and they began to command the, the choir to sing louder. People were praying. They'd take her a few more feet to the place where she was going to get baptized. 
it was a little bit off to the side. And every few feet, she'd go over there. She'd fall backwards. And it was such an unusual scene. And finally, they got her to that spot. And they baptized her. Well, he talked to one of the pastors afterward. And he says, what in the world was going on over there? He said, well, you see that spot where we, where we were baptizing people. We were praying for that spot. We had a special time of prayer. This is the place where we're going to be doing the baptisms. We're praying for the Holy Spirit to be over this place. God to consecrate this time and this location for his glory. And so as we were beginning to take this one lady to get baptized, this demon began to really just erupt out of her, and she'd fall over uncontrollably, and we'd get her back up, we'd pray for her, and we'd take her step by step until we got her to the water or that place where she was going to get baptized. And that pastor friend, he said, wow, that was remarkable. And then one of the elders said, oh yeah, by the way, there was one thing that took place. The demon spoke through that woman. My friend said, what did it say? He said, it said this, don't take me to that spot. That's where the blood of Jesus is. Amen? That's where the blood of Jesus is. Now let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Let's ask for Jesus' blood to be over here. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your righteousness. Thank you so much for your blood. Thank you that you clean us from sin. And Lord, our prayer is that you would bless us with the Holy Spirit, that you would lead us closer and closer to you. God, this is the final message of iShare. And so, Lord, we just want to give this opportunity to you to speak, this availability to you to minister to us. Set us up, Lord. Thank you for hearing prayer. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, we're going to be looking at a very interesting story today. So everybody take out your Bibles. We're going to Mark chapter 5. It is the story of the demoniac. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. If you're there, say amen. If you need more time, say mercy. If you didn't bring your Bible, better be looking at somebody else's Bible. All right. We're at Mark chapter 5. It's the story of the demoniac. Now, it's very interesting. When you read much of Mark's gospel, he is fast-forwarding a lot of events. Many times there's this abridged focus throughout the gospel of Mark. Each gospel carries a certain signature that is there that's designed to speak to various kinds of minds. So the book of Mark has a very important message for our time. So when you're reading this gospel, much of the time you see uh, Jesus' encounters, they're fast forward or they're abridged, and it's very quick. But when it comes to this episode with the demoniac, it's, all of, it's like almost all of a sudden, Jesus, uh, it's things slow down, time slows down, and you see this very interesting encounter between Jesus, a man full of the Holy Spirit, encountering a demoniac, a man full of an evil spirit. So this is where the story begins, Mark chapter 5. Let's start with verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day... He was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now notice verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from where? 
Afar, he ran and worshipped him. But notice what comes out of his mouth. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not what? Torment me. Now, we've read this story many, many times, but you're going to start seeing some very remarkable points in this story. Here you have a man, and the Bible describes his situation. He is somebody that has reached the depth of iniquity, totally possessed by the devil himself and his legions. This man is destroying his body. He's cutting himself up. He's living with the dead people. Here's an individual who nobody wanted to be a part of his life. In fact, they tried to shackle him up, hoping they could control him, but they realized that he was dealing with something that was far more powerful than any human himself. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something, and I'm realizing this more and more as I've been pastoring for about seven years, and that is this. We are dealing with an epidemic of mental illness like never before. It is growing out of control. Now, you're thinking to yourself, okay, what's the point with that? You know what? We're told that the real problem with this world is not toil, it's not poverty, it's not hardship. The real problem with this world is guilt. And as we see, sin and sin become more and more practiced. And by the way, specifically, sexual sin exploding more and more. We are going to see the natural byproduct or natural effect of sin growing more and more, and that is guilt. And without a remedy, we are going to see the next step of guilt, and that is a breakdown of the mind. If guilt is not dealt with, if it is not remedied, we're going to start seeing more and more of these mental issues like never before. In fact, I heard one psychologist say if he could teach his patients that they could be forgiven, he said he could let go half of them. So here's the situation we're dealing with right here. Jesus comes across a man who is totally destroyed by the devil. In fact, Ellen White, she describes an almost comical scene because when Jesus steps off the boat with 12 of his disciples and that demoniac comes running out of the, the forest, she says that the disciples actually took off running and left Jesus there alone. And when they came back, they saw Jesus with his hand stretched out towards that demoniac and that demoniac could not come any further. I mean, this was supposed to be the back of, of, of Jesus and they were gone. So here's the situation. This man has shown up, ready for some kind of showdown. And so Jesus begins to deal with this problem. And I want to promise you, this is going to be relevant to every person. Let's continue with this story. Verse 8. For he said to them, come out of the man, what? Unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are... Many. Also, now notice this key word. He begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons, what's that next phrase? Begged him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There was about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned into the sea. Verse 14. So those who fed the swine who fed the swine fled, and they told it to those in the city and in the country. And when they came out to see what had happened, notice verse 15, they came to Jesus and they saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. Notice this next part. And they were afraid. They were afraid. 
Here they see a man who's converted by Jesus, and they begin to get scared of this man. They were afraid. In fact, one gospel says there was great fear among them. Let's continue. Verse 17, then they begin to, what's that next word? Plead or beg, as it says in one gospel, for him to depart from the region. And when he had gone to the boat, he who had been demon-possessed, notice that next phrase, begged him that he might be with him. Notice verse 19, however, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed, began to proclaim in the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. When you begin to study out this story, you begin to notice this unusual word that appears over and over again in this story. Here you have this demons, these demons. They were begging Jesus not for him, to, for him not to torment them. And then the man begs Jesus, don't send the swine away. And then the demons beg Jesus. They said, send us into the swine. And so when Jesus does it and the swine die, all of a sudden the people show up. And you know what they do? They begin to beg Jesus for him to leave. And do you know what Jesus does? He listens to them again. But here you have a story when the man who was now cleaned of the demon begins to beg Jesus for help. It's like all of a sudden Jesus turns on the no switch. Here you have Jesus answering the prayers of these demons. Here you have Jesus answering the prayer of this demon-possessed man. Here you have Jesus answering the prayer of these people who want nothing to do with Jesus. But you have one time, you, you actually have a follower of Jesus, and he's begging Jesus for help, and Jesus says no to him. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus permitted the demons to do this. But when it came to this man, do you know what Jesus said? Jesus did not permit him. Here you have a very unusual episode where you have Jesus listening to the prayers of fallen angels, listening to the request of a demon-possessed man, listening to the request of the wicked, but when it comes down to God's own people, it's like he turns a blind eye. There's something you're going to realize as a Christian. And that is this, times that you are going to be pleading for God to do something. And you're going to be pleading for God to do something that seems right, by all means. And you're going to find Jesus saying, no. You're going to find Jesus saying, no. You're going to find Jesus not permitting you. Yet he seems like in this story, he's listening to the requests of these demoniacs who were trying to get him kicked out. Here you have the, the, the story of where Jesus is listening to a man who was possessed by a demon. And you have the story of, of, of the wicked saying, Jesus, we want nothing to do with you. And in every case, Jesus is answering their requests. And then you have this one indication where this man, who has come out of this demon possession experience, and he's begging Jesus, let me be with you. And Jesus says, no. What's my point here? What we're going to be discovering more and more as we journey in this life is that some of the greatest blessings that God has given to us is unanswered prayer. Do you know Moses one day pleaded with God, let me enter into the Holy Land. You know what God said? No. 
Do you know where Moses is, by the way, right now? Yeah, he's in the real Holy Land, right? He's walking on streets of gold, okay? Not dirt, he's walking on streets of gold right now. He is alive. Do you know Elijah prayed a prayer that God did not answer? You know what Elijah prayed? Let me die. Do you know where Elijah is right now? (laughs) Elijah is alive for all of eternity. I mean, this brother never even closed his eyes in death. And he prayed a prayer one time, Lord, let me die. Can you imagine himself walking through heaven, still to this day thinking to himself, what was I thinking? (laughs) What was I thinking? Praise the Lord, God doesn't answer our prayers. Amen? Amen? How many times during prayer meeting you have people saying, well, you know what, I praise God, he didn't answer my prayers. I just want to praise Jesus. He didn't let me get into that or this. You don't find people praying that or saying those kinds of prayer requests or praises. You find people saying, praise the Lord, I found my keys. Praise the Lord, he found a car for me. Praise the Lord, I met this person. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something. When we get to heaven, and not just when we get to that side of of heaven or when we get to that side of eternal life, what we're going to discover, even in this life, when we begin to look back, we're going to realize God in his infinite mercy Praise the Lord, he didn't listen to me at that time. Can you say amen to that? And the reason why, when God doesn't answer your prayer, it's because he has a higher purpose. You're going to see how this all winds up. He has a higher purpose for you. Do you know the story of Joseph? Joseph, at age 17, was taken by the Egyptians And can you imagine Joseph pleading with God, Lord, get me out of this circumstance. And he was made a prisoner. He was made a slave. And here he is for many years pleading with God, get me out of this circumstance. And even when it seemed like it was going to work out, all of a sudden it was like he was stuck there several more years. But as much as Joseph might have thought, these events are against me. God was actually working out. His good. By the way, do you know when Joseph is reunited with Jacob? Do you know Jacob lives exactly 17 years? Here, Joseph was taken away from Jacob after 17 years of life. And then when he's reunited with, Jake, with Joseph, he lives exactly 17 years. It was like God restored to Jacob the best years of his life. Do you know the story of Job? story of Job starts with this man, and by the way, study out the story of Job, wonderful story. It starts off with this almost exact accounting of the sheep, of the donkey, of the cows, and of the children. And at the very end, after God has restored these things, the Bible says he gets double of those donkeys, double of those cows, double of those sheep. But the Bible says he only gets one set of kids. The implication is that he didn't really lose those kids. One day in heaven, he's going to have two sets of kids. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something that's, that you're going to discover more and more as you mature in spirituality. There's going to be times where you're going to be pleading with God to do something for you, and he seems like he's just leaving you in that spot. But there is a higher purpose, and the eyes of faith will discern what God is up to. Can you say amen to that? Let's continue with this story. 
I want you to go to that point right there. Go all the way to verse 14. All the way to verse 14. Talking about those pig herders. By the way, it seems like these pig herders, the demon-possessed man didn't have a problem with them. You're supposed to say, ooh, he didn't say that. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> Anyways, let me just say this point real quickly. You know, when I'm preaching a sermon in my church, many times I'm preaching and it's like, I can hear people like gasping as they're learning deep Bible truths. I'm like, praise the Lord, I love that gasp, right? Because people are getting deep, deep uh, they're digging deeper and deeper in the word of God. You're hearing them just like, ooh. I have people in the, ba- in the background of my church, I can hear, oh, that feels good. Right? That's just, man, that is just amazing. I remember I had this one guy in church. Every time I'd be preaching something, I'd say some powerful biblical, at least I thought it was a powerful biblical point, right? I'd say something, and he'd be in the back, oh, he'd just scream. I mean, there was just this excitement as he was digging deeper and deeper into the Word of God. He was seeing points he had never seen before, and he was taking these and applying them to himself. Can you say amen to that? Let's continue with this story. Let's see what happens now. Again, when these men take off, verse 14, So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And when they had come out to see what had happened, then they who came to Jesus saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right, what? Mind. And they were afraid. Let's continue. And those who saw it told how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine in verse 17. And then they began to plead with Jesus to depart from that region. Now just think about this. This wasn't very far. And so here's the situation. When these pig herders see all these pigs, you know, they go off the cliff. They take off running. They go into the country because they're trying to get back up. They're trying to get Jesus kicked out of that area. And so they go get the mob, right? And so the mob comes with their pitchforks. Let's get rid of Jesus. And so they're coming back in. And when they show up onto that scene, you know what they see? They see this man who's calm and sitting. Now, why is that an unusual point that he was sitting down? Because they were so used to seeing him running around naked. I mean, this something had happened. This man was now in the attitude of a learner. And so they're watching the situation, and they're so blown away because here they are. They tried to fix the situation. They tried shackling that man, and they completely failed. And now they're watching the scene. They're just like, oh, my goodness, only a power above and beyond mankind could have done this. And that man probably spent, what, maybe an hour, a couple hours with Jesus? Do you know what this man does? Jesus tells him, go home and go begin to preach the Decapolis, the ten cities. This man goes to go preach over there in the ten cities, by himself, nobody with him. And do you know what happens? Later on, Jesus shows up to this same area and doesn't find that same mob. He finds a group of people who are excited about Jesus. Now, what's my point? This man spent maybe two or three hours with Jesus and was able to turn the ten cities upside down. I mean, this man didn't hear even all these doctrinal truths, and here he is. He's spending just a little bit of time with Jesus. And because of that little bit of time with Jesus, he's able to go back and evangelize without any kind of evangelism training, okay? And he goes out and he's preaching, and the ten cities get turned so upside down that when Jesus returns months later, he doesn't find a group of people who are ready to kill him and kick him out. He finds a group of people who are ready to accept him. 
When you spend time with Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, there is no limit to the usefulness of one who's been filled with God. The best advice I could give you as a pastor is this. Spend time with Jesus if you feel good. Amen? Spend time with Jesus when you don't feel good. Spend time with Jesus when you feel holy. Spend time with Jesus when you feel like a sinner. Amen? And what you're going to find, the more and more you spend time with Jesus and the more and more you keep Jesus in the proximity, you're going to find you cannot be lost. Amen? You cannot be lost. And by the way, there is the byproduct of spending time with Jesus. Have you ever found somebody who has spent so much time with Jesus? I mean, when they're coming off, they're like Moses. Like, someone turn off the light, man. This brother is just shining so bright. He's been filled by God. He's had an experience in the Word of God. He has sat at the feet of the greatest teacher, and he's ready to turn the world upside down. Can you say hallelujah? The best advice I can give you as just somebody who is speaking here is this. Spend time with Jesus every single morning. Make it the first thing you think about. You take your cell phone, you're about to press that button for Facebook, you throw it out the room. You're saying amen because you feel rebuked right now. I know. I know. I know. It's all right. It's all right. Amen? Amen. This is super important. We've got to make the freshest thoughts of our day, the freshest thoughts of our mind, are to be given to Jesus. Amen? You've got to go to the bathroom as the first thought. You just keep your eyes closed and you don't think about anything but Jesus. Don't take your phone in there. It's super important. More and more, we've got to make Jesus the priority. The fundamental lesson of life, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek ye second. Is that what it says? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what? All these things shall be added to you. Amen? This is the fundamental principle of life, that when you make Jesus first, he'll take care of everything else. Amen? I had somebody who was telling me, they're like, Pastor, I just can't study. I have a difficult time studying. I tried this, the, the book Desire of Ages, and I'm like, you're still struggling after reading the book Desire of Ages? Yeah. They're like, I'm struggling reading the book Desire of Ages. So here was some advice I gave to them. I want you to take out a highlighter. I told them to get a highlighter. Then I said, take out the book Steps to Christ. And as you begin to read Steps to Christ, you start with chapter one. When you find something that just is amazing, it makes you go, oh, whatever it is, you take out that highlighter, you mark that, you stop right there, and you talk to Jesus about it. You find something that is so powerful, don't just think, well, that's just powerful, and keep moving on. You're going to forget it when you get on Facebook. Some of you are like, why does he keep mentioning Facebook here? Take out that highlighter and you mark it. You stop and you talk to Jesus about it. That's what communing is with God. It is an interaction between us and God. It's not just you reading, then talking to Jesus about what you read. Amen? It's you talking with God and conversing with God as you are reading the Scriptures. Many times I'll start reading the Bible, and after two verses I'll stop and put down Bible. I'm like, Lord, I need to get on my knees, I need to pray about this right now. And it could be just something as lo and behold. I mean, that was too powerful for me i got to keep my eyes on Jesus right now. got to keep my eyes on God, right? 
This man who spent a little bit of time with Jesus, I mean, just think about it. He was coming out of this experience of being demon-possessed for several years. You can imagine his mind was still grasping for these truths, trying to figure out, wait a minute, where am I, where am I at right now? Who are these people? But as he sat down at the feet of Jesus, whatever time it was, whether it was an hour, two hours, or three hours, it was enough for him to be able to go out and preach the gospel to ten cities and turn that whole area upside down. Amen? And you can imagine he probably thought to himself, I need to keep doing that. I need to keep spending time with Jesus. And let's go down to our third point. Our third point. Go all the way to verse 18. And when he had got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged that he might be with him. Verse 19, however, Jesus did not what? Permit him. I'm going to keep going. But said to him, pay attention to these last few words, go home. Amen? My charge is go home. Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had compassion on you. And when he had departed, he began to proclaim to the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marvel. I want you to notice something. Here is this man, he's realizing, wait a minute, if I don't keep hanging out with Jesus and doing what his disciples are doing at that very moment, which is ministry at that with Jesus as he's going all over the world, if I don't keep doing that, I'm going to end up in this same exact place. Can you imagine this man? He's looking at these disciples, not to myself. I wonder what life is like being one of the disciples of Jesus. I wonder what it's like to be under the instruction of Jesus, the personal, visible, tangible instruction of Jesus. And do you know what Jesus tells him? Go home. Go back to your area where you're from. And start telling people about all the great things that God has done for you. In fact, Jesus says, go home to your friends. They must have been some good friends, right? <laughs> he says, go home to your friends. Start telling them about how God has had compassion on you. And so the man began to do this. Now, what's my point? My point is this. Many of us are not going to get this, the, the time and the opportunity to be able to do great things like go to an evangelism school. Many of us are not going to be these great, powerful evangelists going all over the world preaching the gospel. Many of us are going to find us stuck in Modesto of all places. <laughs> or Bakersfield or wherever you're from. Salinas, I don't know. Idaho, I'm not sure, wherever you guys are from. Here's the thing, I want you to pay attention to this. Because Jesus understood there was a work still to be done at home. There was a great work to be done at home. You want to know what the worst thing for me as a pastor? Seven years I've learned one lesson. That's besides spending time with Jesus. Here's another lesson I've learned. And that is this. One of the most annoying things to me as a pastor is finding inconsistent church members. Do you know you're trying to build the kingdom of God? you know you're trying to preach the gospel and evangelize in this area? And you find people who don't want to be part of their local church. You know, when I preached at Southern uh, sometime last year, I told them one of the greatest lies the devil wants you to believe is that local church evangelism is not your responsibility. It's somebody else's responsibility. 
You know, I have many times people come up to me and they say, Pastor, we're so excited about coming to your church. I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. And they're like, we love your sermons. I'm like, praise the Lord. Give glory to God, right? Let's say tear you to pieces, right? And so they'll say things like, they're like, Pastor, we're so excited about being in your church. We actually grew up Adventists. I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. That's amazing, right? And then they'll say things like, by the way, we're actually related to James White. You're related to James White. We're related to James White. I'm like, that's amazing. And then they'll say things like, and we've gone to Adventist colleges our entire life. Praise the Lord. That's good. And they said, now we actually have two kids. I'm like, praise the Lord. And they're like, and we enrolled them in Adventist schools. I'm like, praise the Lord. We need more children in Adventist school. Like, that's amazing. And they said, by the way, we have the book Adventist Home in our living room, and we read it each day. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's amazing. I love that. And then I'll say to them one question. How would you like to be involved in the church? And you know what they say to me? Pastor, we're pretty busy right now. And you know what I say? I think to myself, I don't say it. I think to myself, you better find another church. Ladies and gentlemen, being part of the local church is your mission. Amen? Amen. Everyone wants to be a superstar in Adventism, but there are very little people who want to be faithful lights in their local church. You're thinking to yourself, Pastor, there's not much to do in my local church. Well, they ain't doing, no one's doing it because you're not doing anything. You say, Pastor, my pastor isn't doing anything. Let me tell you something. You want to know what the most stressful position in the world we actually cut off four years of our life. That's a pastor. You want to be a pastor? You got an Adventist message, a health message that will let you live about eight years longer? Cut off four if you're a pastor. Only get four years. Being a pastor, and I say this with all the love in my heart, it's one of the most inefficient jobs. You want to know why? Because we're too busy. There's not enough time in the day for us to do things. So if you're relying upon your pastor to tell you what to do, you're in big trouble. Ellen White says, it is fatal to believe that the work of saving souls is dependent upon the ordained minister. The word is fatal. You know what that means? We're in Loma Linda. You should know this medical term around this area. Deadly means you will die. Bad things happen to you. Death. No more breath. No more breath. Amen. You need to get involved in your local church. There is so much to do. There is so much to do. And one of the most difficult things is, is when you're trying to do evangelism at your local church and young adults, teenagers, don't want anything to do with it. You know, Jesus didn't tell them, man, go home and find a local church for you to sit in there every single Sabbath and that's all you need to do. He didn't tell him to do that. You know what he told them? Go home and start preaching the gospel to your friends. Amen. You want to know what my charge is, ladies and gentlemen? It's to go home. Amen. Amen? It's to go home and start preaching the gospel at your house. Amen? The best things I can tell you is this. It's not shepherds that produce sheep. Amen? It's sheep that produce sheep. You can say amen to that. Amen? It's sheep that produce sheep. This is what Jesus wants his people to do. We don't need to go out into the entire world. The gospel needs to be taken to wherever you're at right now. Your church is dying because you ain't doing nothing there. This is what Jesus told this man. You go home. You go home. This man was thinking to himself, why can't I be one of those disciples? 
And you know what Jesus was saying to him? You are my disciple, but you're going to be a disciple at your house. You need to go home. There's a work that needs to be done there, a great work to be done there. Look, and I say this with all the love in my heart, there was one time in my life, I wanted to be a superstar in Adventism. I thought being a superstar was preaching the gospel everywhere. When I began to realize something, God began to drill it down into my thick skull, and that is this, there is a great work to be done back at home. Back at home. People want to be a superstar. Jesus is calling you to be a faithful and consistent light. Amen? A faithful and consistent light. Superstars come and go, but a faithful, consistent light keeps burning. It keeps burning. You know, as we look at this story, we begin to see things that are very important. We begin to see how Jesus did not answer this man's prayer. Why? Because he had a higher purpose than this man could really understand at that time. We begin to see the story of how this man spent a little bit of time with Jesus. And as he spent this time with Jesus, he was able to turn the world upside down. And he was made safe by preaching the gospel. We see the story of how Jesus told this man to go home. Start with your family. Start with your friends. Start telling them all the good things that God has done for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to see something when you look at this man's life. You think to yourself, man, it was like Jesus just really gave it to him. That's not the truth. Jesus had great plans for this man's life. At that time, that man could not see it. This man was probably wondering to himself as he's seeing Jesus depart in the boat, why can't I go with them? Why can't I be part of that group? And you know what Jesus was saying? Go home. Go home. I believe he probably started with his friends. You want to know why he started with his friends? Because these were the group of people this man probably had the greatest connection with. These were the group of people who, when they were converted, would form another band of disciples. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something, and that is this, Jesus is calling you. Jesus is calling you to go home, to go home, to go home, to tell your friends, your family, the great things that God has done for you. Jesus is calling you to go home. There's a great work that needs to be done, a great work that needs to be done right now. I'm going to end by reading you a quote. The pen of inspiration has blown my mind away every time I think about it. Ellen White says in the first few lines of the book Acts of the Apostles, she says these words, The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for service. Its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. From the beginning, it has been God's plan that through His church shall be reflected to the world His fullness and His sufficiency. The members of the church, those whom He has called out of darkness into His marvelous light, are to show forth His glory. Now this is where it gets so amazing. It's shaking right now. I heard us. The church is the repository of the riches of the grace of Christ. And through the church will eventually be made manifest. In other words, one day this will happen. Will eventually be made manifest 
even to principalities and powers, to heavenly places. That means angels and the unfallen worlds. This is something that's going to be manifested to them one day. The final and full display of the love of God. The final and full display of the love of God through the church. The church that you're a part of. One day is going to be made manifest through this church that you're a part of. The final and full display of the love of God. God is an infinite being. But God makes a promise that one day through the church will be revealed to this world and to this universe the truth about God. Amen? God is calling you to go home. Go home to your churches. Go home to your families. Go home to your friends. You think to yourself, my plans didn't work out after the summer. Go home. God's got bigger plans for you. Greater plans. If you find yourself stuck at your local college, your local job, go home. God has amazing plans bigger than you can think. Go home. Go home. Jesus is calling you. We're going to do something special in this final night. I'm by Sharonette. She's going to be singing a very special song. I'd rather have Jesus. Amen. I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I want to invite you. If that is your prayer, I want Jesus. I want Jesus more than anything. No better appeal than that, ladies and gentlemen. I want Jesus, and I'm going to share the truth about Jesus. I want you to come up to the front right now. If you're like this man who finds himself struggling between wanting to do something and finding God telling you no, come up to the front and Jesus may be saying to you today, go home. Go home. Share the good news. Trust the plans of God for your life. While you're listening to this song, more than anything, ladies and gentlemen, God is calling you to be a faithful and consistent light. Faithful and consistent light to this world. And as the song is being sung, make it the prayer of your heart. I'd rather have Jesus. That's the most important thing right now. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot audioverse.org.